Take your Bibles, if you would, please turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to go back to where we began last week. 1 John chapter 1. Of course, in Neil's message last week, which was entitled The Doctrine of Christmas, he emphasized the historical reality of Jesus. And he did that for good reason. It's because that's what John is emphasizing here. Already at this early stage of the church's existence, false teachings had arisen concerning the person of Christ. There were already men who were claiming that that Jesus was not a real person, not a human being at all. He was simply a spirit, a phantom, a ghost, uh, or, or at best, he was a man upon whom uh, many taught at his baptism the Spirit of God came upon him. And then on the cross during his crucifixion, the Spirit of God departed. And so he died as simply a man. And of course, neither one of those things is true. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, just as Scripture teaches. Uh, he grew up. Uh, became the, the man Christ Jesus who lived a sinless life and then laid down that life for us on the cross, uh, bearing our sins in his own body, uh, atoning for the sins that we have committed and uh, would commit, and uh, became our Savior uh, and Lord. Uh, that is a reality, a historical reality. Jesus was a real Person. He is, as John puts it, that which they heard, they saw, they touched. That's what John makes this claim. He, as one of the apostles, had done all of these things. He had seen Jesus with his own eyes. He had heard him. Again, I love the way Neil described it last week. You know, not many of us would probably recognize Jesus if we saw him on the street, but John would. Not many of us would would know that it was Jesus speaking to us if we heard his real voice, but John would. Uh, He was there, uh, along with the other apostles, to, to, to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to get to know Jesus. Uh, and of course, as we learned last week, it is Jesus who is Christmas. Jesus is Christmas. Jesus is the word of life that John is speaking of here in this first chapter of his of his epistle. Jesus is the life that was made manifest. So I want to pick up kind of right there in the middle of verse 2 with that last thought. And I want us to to talk about a couple of things this morning. Number one, uh, my message is called the disclosure of Jesus, uh, the revelation of Jesus. How is it that we even know about Christmas? How is it that people all around the world uh, will celebrate Christmas? How did it become what it is today. How do, we, how do we know? And of course, as a result of knowing uh, about Christmas, knowing about Christ, how, how did the apostles come to know that Jesus was the Christ? And, and, and how did that knowledge, that belief that Jesus is indeed the Christ of Christmas change their lives? Uh, so let's read. We're going to read all four verses again this morning. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. You can follow along here on the screen at the front if you don't have a Bible with you. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. And of course, toward the end of this letter, John again writes stating the purpose of of this letter. When he says this in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe. And let me just say this right up front this morning. As I preach this message today, I believe that for the most part, I am preaching to you who believe. All right. Those of you watching from home, I I have to believe with all my heart that most of you, uh, perhaps all of you, are again those who believe in the name of the Son of God. And John says, I'm writing to those of you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know uh, just what it is that we have in Jesus. Just what this gift of eternal life that was given to us by God the Father means. The significance of it. Uh, And so that's why we preach and teach. That's why John writes. So how is it that we have come to know and believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ? And how does our belief That Jesus is the Christ. How does our belief that he is the Christ of Christmas change the way that we live and the way that we celebrate Christmas? Let's pray and then we'll we'll look at several things this morning. I hope that will help you to understand. Father, we are so very thankful this morning for the faith that you have given us, Lord. For this gift of salvation that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. For this wonderful opportunity each year in December to celebrate, to recall our own particular set of circumstances when you opened our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is and and how much we need him. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to share that story with our family, with our loved ones, with our children, our children's children, with our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students, Lord, people all around us who have no idea We do. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us this morning uh, to see once again the significance of who Jesus is and how that has changed our lives. Not not just once, uh, once upon a time, but Lord, how that change continues right up to this very moment. Uh, How our lives are Different, different than they once were and different from those around us who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And as always, Father, I pray that if there's someone here, someone watching who has not uh, received Christ as Savior, who has never seen Jesus as the Christ of Christmas, uh, the Savior and Lord, uh, who alone can give them eternal life, I pray that today you would open those blinded eyes, those deaf ears, or those hard hearts, that the message of the gospel uh, 
the good news of Jesus Christ would be received today with gladness and joy and that lives would be changed forever. That's our prayer today, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. First thing I want to deal with is our perception uh, of Christmas. How we see Christmas. What we think about when we think of Christmas. Uh, and really that, the question is, how do we come to the place in our lives where we have a proper perception of Christmas? You know, one of the things that, that uh, it has already begun, just about every channel you turn to at some point in the day has a, a Christmas movie, right? And almost without exception, uh, the underlying theme of that Christmas movie is, is how to discover the true meaning of Christmas, what, what Christmas is really all about. Uh, and, and that's exactly what John is talking about here as he, he speaks of hearing and seeing and touching and, and being made manifest concerning Jesus. He is, he is talking about having a proper perspective of who Jesus is, of, of just what God has done for us when he sent his son into the world to become our Savior. Uh, and really those words, made manifest, hold the key to a proper perception of Christmas. Uh, you know, again, people all over the world, uh, all around us, will celebrate Christmas in just a couple of weeks, right? It's, it's not something that's unique to the church. Uh, it's going to happen all around the world in households that may claim no affiliation whatsoever to the church of Jesus Christ. So Christmas will be celebrated, but in large part, it will be celebrated by those who have no real sense of the true significance of God's Son. Uh, houses will be decorated, perhaps they already are. Gifts will be exchanged. Holiday food will be prepared and enjoyed. But Jesus won't be acknowledged. Uh, it is only to those to whom the word of life has been made manifest that will celebrate Christmas properly when they gather this year. Again, we who have believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, received him as our Savior and Lord, we are those who have seen and heard. We are those to whom it has been made manifest who Jesus is. We are the ones who should properly perceive and celebrate Christmas. Those words made manifest uh, Again, written by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They, they mean to be made to see and to understand. So it goes far beyond. John is no doubt talking as he speaks of seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, touching Jesus. He is no doubt talking about just what took place through the physical ability that God had given he and the other apostles to see. The, the, the gift of sight they had seen Jesus with their physical eyes, but they weren't the only ones that had seen Jesus with their physical eyes. Many saw Jesus, and yet they rejected him as the Christ, as the Messiah. They, they, they abandoned him. They refused to believe upon his name. So what, what makes the difference between the way John saw, the way the apostles saw, the way many of us have now seen, uh, and really not Seeing, well, it's, it's that idea that, that Jesus, the word of life, has been made manifest to us. We have been made 
to see spiritually, to understand spiritually. In other words, in order to see in the manner that John and the apostles have seen, we have to have something beyond the physical ability of sight. Our, our physical eyes have to be open to perceive what they otherwise could not. And of course, throughout the scriptures, uh, there is wording in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well that speaks of eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear. Uh, and it's not speaking of those who are physically blind or deaf. It's speaking of those who are dead in their trespasses and sin. And as a result of that, they can't really see properly what they should see. They can't understand the things that they should understand. So our physical eyes have to be opened to perceive what they otherwise cannot. And that's what John is declaring that God has done for us. He had done that for the apostles. He had made Jesus manifest. In other words, he had caused them to see Jesus as most did not, as most would not. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, it's because God has opened your eyes. He has caused you to see what others do not. He has, he has enabled you to perceive His Son Jesus for who He truly is. He has opened our eyes to the spiritual reality that Jesus is not a spirit or a, a phantom, nor is He simply a man, but He's the Christ the Messiah. And so what Scripture teaches us is this, that God has granted us the ability to see, and thus he has granted us the gift of faith. Because in reality, we, we say this all the time, but, but Scripture is true. When John speaks of seeing, to see the way John is writing it here is to believe. To see Jesus for who he is is to believe in him, to receive him, as Savior and Lord. And so now, as those who have been granted the ability to see Jesus for who He, he truly is, we understand uh, that Christmas is not just about giving and receiving gifts, is it? But it's about God giving us the gift of eternal life through His Son, Jesus. It is a celebration of our belief that Jesus is the Savior. So, my question to you this morning is this. Has God opened your eyes to the reality of who Jesus is? I know for most of you, the answer is yes. Perhaps for all of you, the answer is yes. So then beyond that, I would say this. As you celebrate Christmas this year, will Jesus be at the very center of your celebration? I believe for those who have seen and heard and received Christ as Savior and Lord, we want him to be at the very center of our celebrations. He is the reason that we celebrate. Again, as Neil said last week, Jesus is Christmas. So, so God has done this wonderful work for us. Again, Christmas isn't just about giving and receiving gifts among ourselves. It is about acknowledging the greatest gift that has ever been given. The gift of a Savior. The gift of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. Again, 
who died for our sins on the cross, rose again on the third day, ascended to take his seat on the throne at the right hand of his Father. Whoever lives, the Bible says, to be our intercession, to, to give us constant and continual access to God. What a privilege. What a life God has given us. Have you seen that? Has God opened your eyes to that reality? Uh, it'll change everything. Not just for a little while, but forever. I pray that you have a proper perspective of Christmas. And then as a result of having a proper perspective of Christmas, again, it changes our whole lives, doesn't it? It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes the things that we actively involve ourselves in. I can remember very clearly when I became a Christian, suddenly things that I had never had any real interest in at all became what I was interested in most of all. Um, before becoming a Christian, church was not something that I thought about too much and certainly didn't attend. Occasionally I would attend. Even the day that God chose to say, this is a remarkable thing about God's gift of salvation. The day that God chose to open my eyes to the reality of who Jesus Christ was, I was sitting right here in this auditorium with no desire whatsoever for my life to be changed. No desire whatsoever to honor Christ Jesus with my life. No desire to preach the gospel. No desire to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. No desire to love my neighbor as myself. These were concepts that were as far removed from my way of thinking as they could possibly be. But in an instant, my eyes were opened. God granted me faith, repentance. I turned from my sin and trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And in an instant, everything changed. Christmas suddenly took on a whole new meaning. Life suddenly took on a whole new meaning. Church suddenly took on a whole new meaning. That's what God does for us. And as a result of that, whether God has called you to preach or not, you're going to tell that story. I couldn't wait to tell that story. I couldn't wait to tell people what had happened to me, what God had done for me. I couldn't, couldn't wait to tell people that exciting good news. I mean, that's the very nature of good news, right? We want to share it. When good things happen, we want people to know. We want people to know that good things have, have happened and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is just like that. And so John says that as a result of having his eyes opened... As a result of Jesus being made manifest by the Father, of this thing that God had done for him. This wasn't some discovery that John had made through years of study. My goodness, John and his brother James were fishermen. They weren't scholars. I have a commentary in my office on the epistles of John. And on the front is, a, is, an, is an old uh, picture, a drawing of John the Apostle, and he is sitting there in his long flowing robes with his long white beard. He has some sort of writing implement in his hands, and the scrolls are all around him. But let me tell you, that wasn't always John's life. John was a fisherman. He didn't always wear long flowing robes. He didn't always have scrolls. He had nets, and a boat, and an oar in his hand, and calluses on his fingers, 
But one day God changed his life forever. He opened his eyes to see, his ears to hear, his heart to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And John's whole perspective on Christ was changed forever. And as a result of that, he said, the life that was made manifest, we've seen it. This is verse 2. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Suddenly testifying about his relationship with Jesus, testifying about this wonderful work that God had done in his life, proclaiming the message of the gospel to all who would listen became a priority in John's life, so much that he left his fishing nets behind, his family business, to follow Jesus Christ, to serve alongside of his Lord and Savior. And he did that until Jesus died and then beyond. John was the last surviving apostle. He was the only one that technically didn't die a martyr's death. Not because men didn't try to kill him, but because the Lord just preserved his life. There, was, there were scrolls to write, letters to send, uh, truth to be shared. And let me tell you, John gladly, joyously, shared it in spite of the difficulties that he encountered along the way. And now we, who just like John have had our eyes opened, our ears made to hear, our hearts softened to receive the message of the gospel, we too now have the joyous privilege of telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you don't start thinking about sharing the gospel of Jesus during the Christmas season? I mean, if, if, the, if the coming of Christmas doesn't prompt within you a desire to tell others about Jesus, there's something wrong. Man, I wanted my children to know who Jesus was, to know why we celebrate Christmas. I want my grandchildren to know that. When Christmas comes, I realize every year what an opportunity we have, what an opportunity I have to share the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Because I know that through the telling of that story, through the sharing of my own personal testimony, that God uses that to open the eyes of those who are still blind. I don't know how he does that. It's a remarkable thing. But he does it. And so we have this great privilege. And you know, there's nothing like being there when you share the gospel and somebody receives it with joy and receives Christ as Savior and Lord. You know, that doesn't happen just all the time. But boy, when it does, it's a wonderful thing. What a privilege we have of telling others the good news of Jesus Christ, what God has done for us. It's our story. And, and it's a story that that demands telling, uh, and we should joyously tell it. That word testify there, I mean, it's a familiar word to us, right? And it comes right out of the courtroom, just, just, just like it does in our day. But it means to tell our own personal experience. John was saying to those to whom he wrote, to us, I'm an eyewitness of these things. I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I heard him with my own ears. I touched him with my own hands. I was there. I can tell you what happened. 
It's my own personal experience. And let me tell you, if you are a Christian today, you have a testimony. There was a moment in your life, just like I described in my own life a little bit ago. There was a moment when suddenly the lights came on. Your eyes were opened. Your heart softened. Something that you had never cared about, something that you had never desired for yourself, suddenly became the overwhelming desire of your life to have Jesus, to know Him, to receive the salvation, forgiveness, the grace, the mercy that God was offering to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what that word testify means. It means to tell about that personal experience. You have a personal experience with Jesus Christ. You have a story to tell and we need to be telling it. And you know the reality is not everyone is a gifted public speaker. Okay? But please don't let that be an excuse for not sharing your testimony. Telling others about Jesus. Tell the story. Tell your story, because if you're a Christian, your story is, is his story. You know, the reality is we haven't looked. Our eyes have not looked upon Jesus the same way that John's did. But what we do have in common with John is that just as his eyes one day were opened to the reality of who Jesus is, so were ours. And our eyes were opened by the same person God the Father. God the Father opened John's eyes to see who Jesus truly was. And God the Father has opened your eyes to see who Jesus truly is. You, you have that in common with the Apostle John. I think sometimes for us, we read the, the, the biblical accounts uh, and, and we think, you know, those were very special people. They lived in very special times. And indeed they were. But you know what? We're special people too. You know what God calls us? who have seen the significance of His Son and received Him as Savior and Lord, He calls us His own precious possessions. He calls us saints. We are those who have been chosen and set aside by God for God. Now, if that doesn't make somebody special, I don't know what does. So don't think of yourself as less than these Old Testament characters. We have this in common with John, with James, his brother, with Matthew, Mark, with Paul. We too have had our eyes opened by God to see the reality of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And we now have the wonderful privilege, the opportunity, really the responsibility to share that story with everyone who will listen, to testify, to tell our own personal experience. I mean, just like the man that Jesus healed, we can say, once I was blind, but now I see. And that sight didn't come of our own effort. It was the gift of God. He opened our eyes to see his son Jesus Christ and all of his glory uh, and to live for his glory for the rest of our days. So John says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim 
also to you. Christmas is a time to share the story of Jesus with everyone who will listen. I mean, everybody's thinking about Christmas, right? Everybody's open to talking about Christmas. Share your story. And again, John uses that word proclaim there, as well as the word testify. The word proclaim is a little bit different. It describes the activity of, of sharing the gospel. And the word speaks of an authoritative declaration. We live in a world full of opinions about who Jesus is. All right? But I want to say this to you. Your understanding who Jesus is as a Christian, all right, is not just one more opinion. Oh, no. If God has opened your eyes to the reality of who his son is, Savior, Lord, King, High Priest, if, if you have this understanding now that Jesus is far more than you once thought he was, he's not just a man, not just a good man, not just a godly teacher, he's the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. That's who Jesus is, the one that God sent to seek and to save that which was lost. If you've seen that, then now we have the opportunity to proclaim that, to, to share that story with authority. It's not just another opinion, another theory. There are lots of theories out there about Jesus. But the gospel is the truth. The gospel is God's word. These are, these are the words that God himself has spoken concerning his son. John, no doubt, was a gifted preacher and teacher and writer. But let me tell you, John was being carried along, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit of God. And when you determine to share your story, your testimony, when you determine to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around you, I believe that God will speak through you. He'll give you the ability to do what you never dreamed you had the ability to do. I remember early on in my salvation experience, remember I said I couldn't wait to tell people about what God had done for me. Well, I, I came home to do just that. And I shared with my family what God had done. Let me tell you, they didn't receive that message as well as I had hoped. And I got a phone call not too many days later from an aunt, my aunt. And she was not very happy with her nephew. And I don't remember everything that she said to me, but what I do remember is this. Everything that she said in criticism or in opposition or contrary to what I knew God had done in my life, even as a brand new believer who knew very little of what the scriptures had to say, God gave me a response. He allowed me to maintain my composure and to share with her what he had done for me. Let me tell you, I believe God will do that for you. Sharing our faith is not always the easiest thing to do. But we need to do it. And when we do, it is amazing the way God opens the doors of communication for us to share about His Son, Jesus Christ. So when we share the gospel, we're not simply sharing our take on things, our opinion of things, but we're sharing the truth of God's Word. John wrote and spoke 
with authority, the authority of Almighty God. These are His words. When we share the gospel, we share the words of God. In Jesus, in Jesus alone, there is eternal life. That, that's what John says here. This life that was made manifest, we see it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. The idea of Jesus or the word of life having once been with the Father really not only means that Jesus always existed, which he did, but it means that he has always existed co-equally with the Father. Don't get the idea that somehow, you know, we got God the Father up here, we got Jesus Christ down here, we got the Holy Spirit down here. Oh no! It's really this way. Jesus was with the Father. The idea of being with the Father means that he was face to face with the Father. He, he, he lived as an equal with the Father. Jesus is, is equal. He's God. That's the, the message that we share. He wasn't just a, a good man, not just a godly teacher. He was God in the flesh. The God-man. Jesus Christ. And he came to give us eternal life. And when we speak of that eternal life, we're not just talking about life without end. Men have been looking how to live forever, forever. Right? I mean, we're still trying to find the fountain of youth. We're trying to find some formula, some magic incantation, some pill that we can take. I, I read about it regularly, how, how studies are being done, scientific experiments are being done, and there are men who are claiming that it won't be long and we will live forever. Men have always sought to live forever, but the kind of eternal life that John's talking about here that we have in Jesus is not just life without end, all right? You know, most of the people that I talk to after they've lived a little while, they're not sure they want to live this kind of life forever, right? So eternal life, as John uses that word here, is not just a word that speaks of, of endless years piling up one upon the other. But the word speaks of a quality of life. Eternal life is the life that God has. So when we receive the gift of eternal life, we enter into that life, the life of Jesus. We become one with him. The Bible says that the church is the body of Christ, that we are members of that, that body, that the life we have is the very life of Jesus. It's not just life that never ends, but it is a quality of life described by words like joy, abundance, hope, peace. Service, sacrifice. It, it's a quality of life. I can honestly say that before I became a Christian, I had a pretty good life. At least as I viewed life. I now know that I didn't have life at all. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But from a human standpoint, I had had a pretty good life. Parents that loved me and took good care of me. financial ability to do the things that I wanted to do. When I received Christ as Savior and Lord, my perspective of life changed. Suddenly life opened up into something far greater than I had ever seen it to be before. Jesus gives us eternal life, this quality 
of life that cannot be found anywhere else. And it is without end. That's the wonderful thing. We get to serve Jesus alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, and one day we'll either die and go to be with the Lord in heaven, or we'll be here when Christ returns, and we'll spend the rest of our days on a new earth, in a resurrected body. What a wonderful hope, and what a wonderful thing God has entrusted to us. We need to proclaim that gospel. We need to boldly, confidently tell others about Jesus Christ. God's Son and our Savior. And then, then the last thing John talks about here, he uses a word that we're all familiar with, fellowship. And I, I just want to talk about this in, in the terms of participation. Fellowship really could be described as joint participation in things that we have in common, a partnership in things that we have in common. That's what that word means. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that we have heard and received, God's gift of eternal life through Jesus, which is the essence of the gospel, again, is now ours. It is ours to be shared, but it doesn't just stop with our sharing of the gospel. We now have the privilege of living out the gospel in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ is where John begins. He says, I'm I'm writing these things to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Well, what in the world was John talking about? I mean, these people that he wrote to, they knew John, perhaps. Most of them had probably even seen him in person. He had lived a long life. They they knew about him. He had a reputation. But he's saying, I'm writing these things so that you'll have fellowship with us. And again, not just with him, but with us, meaning the apostles, of whom... All of them were now departed. Uh, so what does he mean by that? that? That word fellowship. Again, it's a word that we use a lot in the church, right? But most of the time when we use that word, we, we say something like this. I've already heard this uh, this week. Our Sunday school class is having a fellowship. And that's how we think of that word, right? And what we mean by that is that we're going to get together and we're going to eat And we may drink coffee or hot chocolate this time of year. We may tell some stories or play some games, but it's that's 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 what fellowship means, right? We're gonna have a fellowship. Let me tell you, even though that's a wonderful part of fellowship, don't get me wrong, it's it's good to get together and play games and eat. Just like Rick said, I don't know how many have a Christmas tradition of telling jokes, but we need to get together. But the fellowship that John is talking about here. It speaks of the things that we as Christians share in common, the very basic things of life. And of course, uppermost as we think about that is our faith in Jesus Christ, our reception of him as Savior and Lord. And so belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord is something that we have in common with every other believer, right? You know, the reality is if we were to get together, oh, we don't even have to get together, I can tell you right now, There are lots of things that we as human beings don't have in common, right? We have different likes and dislikes. We we are different kinds of people. We have different personalities. But at the very heart, at the foundation of who we are as Christians, we do have fellowship. 
fellowship in our belief that Jesus is the Christ who came and saved us. So that's what John's talking about here. So together, we participate in this fellowship, in this proclamation of the gospel that we've talked about. You know, we do that together. I, I, I stress when, when we're talking about that, really because the word testify speaks of a personal uh, experience, I, I kind of stress the individuality of sharing the gospel, telling your story. But the reality is the proclamation of the gospel that we do as a church, we do that together. God has entrusted the proclamation of his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the church, not just to me as the pastor or to Neil or to your Sunday school teacher or a deacon, but to us. We do that together. We fellowship in the proclamation of the gospel. We support one another as we share the gospel. We encourage one another as we share the gospel. We stand beside one another as we follow Jesus together. That's that's what Christmas ought to remind us of. The wonderful thing, of course, is that our fellowship doesn't end with that fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. John goes on to say this. He says, "I, I want you to have fellowship with us. And he says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, just when you think that salvation couldn't get any better, you realize that not only does it come with this built-in fellowship with every other believer on the planet, and especially those that you attend church with, but included is fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. Wow, what does it mean to have fellowship with God? And again, to think of ourselves as having very basic, elemental, foundational issues in common with God the Father. Do you know that as Christians, we have the very nature of God? It's hard for us to think. But we do. We have things in common with God the Father and with Jesus Christ, His Son. As Christians... We love the things that God loves, right? Or at least we should. We have fellowship with God in that. The Bible says that God is love. (laughs) The Bible says that God loves us. The Bible says that we should love God and we should love one another. We have this thing in common with God. We should love what God loves. To have fellowship with God means that we engage in the work that God has prepared for us to do. You know, in some of those foundational passages of Scripture describing our salvation, Paul writes that that we're God's workmanship, right? God has created us. We're his masterpiece. And he has given us works to do that he himself has prepared for us. When we think of what it means to have fellowship with God, it means that we are doing those things that God has prepared for us to do. We have engaged in the very work of God upon this earth. Now you talk about significance and importance. Nothing greater than that. You know, one of the things that Charles Spurgeon used to share with his students, his preachers, his young men that had been called to the ministry, he would, he would encourage them and he would say something like this, if God has called you to preach the gospel, do not stoop to be a king. In other words, there's nothing more important than that. 
You're sharing in the very work of God. You are fellowshipping with God in the proclamation of the gospel. Doing the work that God is doing and that God has prepared for us to do. Fellowship with God means that our desire is to do his will and accomplish his purposes. You know, I don't know about you, but that was one of the things that I mean, I just immediately became aware of in my own life as a Christian. Suddenly my desire was to honor God, to obey God, to live for God. My desire prior to that had always been to bring honor to myself, to live for myself. Now, I have fellowship with God. The desire of my heart is to do His will and accomplish His purposes. And I believe it is yours as well. To have fellowship with God means that the things that are important to God are important to us. You know, one of the things that I'm reminded of every year at Christmas is that God views the poor very differently than we often view the poor. The Word of God tells us time and time again that we're to give to help those in need. But so often, our giving doesn't even take into account those who are in need around us. And so I I would say if you're going to have fellowship with God in this area, it means that you will be mindful that there are those around you that do not have the things that you have. And they need a little help. And God has entrusted you with the means to help them. Having fellowship with God means that his word is revered, respected, obeyed, studied, listened to, read. Again, my own personal experience, the word of God took on a whole new priority in my life. Suddenly I wanted to know what God had to say and what I needed to do with the things that God said. Fellowship with God means that Jesus, his beloved son, our savior, is the greatest treasure of our life. Is Jesus the great treasure of your life? Has God opened your eyes to the true significance of Christmas? If he has, share your story. Tell others with joy what God has done for you. Participate in the works of God, the ministries and missions that God has entrusted to to our church. God is not your greatest treasure. And I, I pray today that God will open your eyes, that he will manifest his son to you, cause you to see what you have never seen before. Jesus is Savior.